1: to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself, if you dare, come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Welcome to season 2 episode 19. I'm your host Jason Hill and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. We have but one odious ode for you this evening presented courtesy of author Luciano Morano. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that you're listening to the Standard Edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. It goes a long way. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies. That nightmares come to life. Where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And now, for the exciting conclusion to Storybook Gothic 3, Fiend's Folly. If you missed any of the previous segments of this frenzied fairy tale, I urge you to listen to last week's episode and episodes 9 and 24 from season 1. Believe me, you will not regret getting caught up for this one. And now, buckle your seatbelts and hold on to your emergency vomit bags... ...because things are about to get dicey. Without further ado... ...from author Luciano Morano... ...I give you... ...Storybook Gothic 3... ...Fiend's Folly Part 2. With Mama tending to the bleeding frost in the living room... ...and Baby mercifully away... ...spending the night at a friend's place... Detective Papa Gryzloski had a brief, blissful moment alone in the garage as he retrieved his personal arsenal, what he'd long thought of as the in-case-of-goldy stuff from the dusty footlocker behind the neglected exercise equipment. Checking each of his guns, ensuring they were loaded, he replayed Frost's story in his mind, feeling it terrifying, even to him, rage building inside himself. I never thought it would actually work, Grace, Frost said. I thought the doc was a con artist, and the old man a goner. Figured I'd play along, get paid when he croaked, and move on. Easy money, right? Well, I was wrong. A creep came through. He did what he promised. He built the old man a new body. What about Pixie? She came to the lab again. I went out to scare her off, but the sisters didn't have any more faith in me than I had in the doctor. I got the drop on the fairy, smacked her around a little bit. You what? I was going to send her packing, Grace, But the sisters had some of their cronies along to watch me watch the doctor. I didn't know. Soon as I laid hands on her, this gang of goblins was there to take her away. There was nothing I could do. And then... When the dock was finished... The old man refused to pay me. <sighs> he's strong, Grizz. Stronger than I expected. But something went wrong. I don't think he's fully operational yet. If he was... He'd have killed me for sure. While his goblins were dragging me outside to finish the job. I saw the doc set to work on him. Looking pretty nervous. Is he alive? Was when I left. The sisters have her. (sighs) They're spooky, Grace. Anyway, I made short work of the goblins and got the hell out of there. Typical Frost. And if you had gotten paid, then what? You were just going to leave her there to be killed? I would have sent word to you. I hate you, Frost. (laughs) Guess that makes two of us. Those monsters, Gris thought. It wasn't enough they owned most of the world and pursued their perverse, selfish interests with impunity. No. Now they were determined to buy their way out of death, too. Somehow they were miserable, despite having everything... And now, they had Pixie. He growled, placing the guns and extra ammo into a large stuffle bag. His eyes landed on the nearby card table and his half-finished fishing flies and lures. And for a cold, gun wrenching second, he saw himself for what he was. A guy with hobbies. A fat, old grizzly bear with more than a patch of gray in his fur and too many winters behind him. His teeth were getting dull, his eyes were getting bad, and his reflexes were not what they'd been. He began to cough, tasting the coppery tang of blood, and then he was scared. From behind him, Mama's voice came low and serious, like that look off your face. He zipped up the bag and turned to face her. Mama was still carrying the shotgun she'd brought to confront Frost. She placed it against the wall and came to him... "'What if I can't do it no more?' he asked, the words coming out like the sigh of an ancient car engine trying desperately to turn over at least one more time. Mama put a paw to his cheek, then pulled it back and slapped him. The strike was deafening in the quiet garage. "'I'll have breakfast waiting,' she said, leaning in to kiss the scratch she would left on his face. "'Save your friend, Papa. Catch the bad guys.' Do your damn job. Grizz hefted the bag. Yes, ma'am. I bandaged Frost, she said, taking hold of his paw. He thinks he's going with you, but he needs to see a doctor. Grizz let her lead him back into the house, grabbing her shotgun as they went. Won't be the first bad choice you ever made. Mama fixed his gaze with serious, narrowed eyes. It will probably be the last talk to him please frost stood as they came into the room wobbling only slightly holding a hand gently against his bandaged torso you ready or what he asked you're not going gris said taking his tan trench coat from the hook by the door you don't know where she is frost said i know the way to the house the place is huge There are guards and you don't know where she is inside. But I do. His good eye winked at Grizz. Settle up, partner. Grizz looked from Frost to Mama. She nodded. I'll call it in to the chief. Grizz tossed the shotgun to Frost and kissed his wife goodbye. Thanks, babe. I love you. I'll see you in the morning, she said. Frost... You come in my house again and I won't bother asking questions first. Frost grinned, saluted, and then walked quickly outside. At the car, he said to Grizz, It seems this is my last trip to your abode, one way or the other. Grizz paused at the driver's door. You want to call anyone Frost? Misty, I mean. Is there anything you want to say to her? Frost smirked. Of course his former partner knew about the affair. He was a detective, after all, and he'd been trained by the best. No. He looked back at the Grzlowski home, then climbed into the car. i have already said it all. They drove through the night, Frost helping himself to several guns from the bag and tucking them into his coat pockets. "'You still drive slower than the seasons change,' he grumbled. "'At least now your driving matches your age.' I guess. You're welcome to walk. No. I'd beat you there and be stuck waiting on you for hours. Frost spared a look down at himself. Dark stains were already appearing on the bandages. My time has suddenly become very precarious. Fine! Grizz pressed down on the gas. The car leapt forward and Frost winced, clutching his side. Talk fast, Frost. Tell me where to find my partner. The grim family country manor is quaint and rustic only if your sole understanding of those characteristics comes from luxury lifestyle catalogs. It's a three-story lodge made of marble, granite, and timber with seven bedrooms, two kitchens, an immense den, a wraparound screen porch, and an attached four-car garage. There's also a basement, twice as large as the house itself. There, the large tire-lined room was well lit precisely ventilated, and contained all the equipment and apparatus one would find in a cutting-edge medical laboratory. Instead of a team of white-coated scientists, however, this perfectly equipped workspace housed only two figures, neither of them looking much like a serious researcher. At a large exam table, Dr. Frank Odenwald, stripped to his undershirt, suspenders dangling from his waist, bent over his latest creation. His fingers danced over wires and stitched closed incisions. He was sweating heavily, and several drops had fallen and smeared on the lenses of his small spectacles. "'Nervous, doctor?' The voice of the enormous figure lying on the table was hoarse and rough, as if its user had not spoken in a very long time. "'This is an especially critical stage,' the old man said. Well, "'If you hadn't engaged so forcefully with a pair, the connections—' the receptors it's all still very delicate a large hand covered in a thick dark hide fingers moving stiffly rose to rest heavily on the doctor's shoulder I have faith in your abilities doctor Cyrus Grimm said tightening his grip until the old man whimpered in pain Grimm slowly rose and stood towering above the old man a steel and leather golem ...wide as two men... ...and nearly nine feet tall. Grimm's new body was a Frankenstein amalgamation of massive plates and slabs... ...mounds of muscle connected by thin tubes and wires circulating neon blue liquid. His head was a medieval mask of wrought iron... ...from within which glowed two optical sensors. He stretched his new arms wide... ...bent his massive ball joint knees and ran his glove-covered, metal skeleton fingers reverently over himself. I feel better than I have in years, decades even. Massaging his shoulder, the doctor said, That is because you have no pain receptors, but you must understand you are not invincible. I need time to observe and study your progress, to ensure all is functioning properly, and that the transplanted tissues will be accepted. "'Your brain could still—' "'Of course, doctor,' Grimm took hold of the giant table "'and easily, almost casually, overturned it. "'I have all the time in the world now. "'Thanks to you.' "'He turned his attention to a nearby smaller table "'upon which rested his corpse. "'A skinny, sickly old man with pencil-thin legs and arms, "'a brittle, sunken chest.' and the top of his head sliced cleanly off. A hollow ball of skull bone remained where his brain had once been. So many years, Grim said in his new voice, viewing sensors betraying no emotion, as he drove his massive hands down onto the feeble remains. The body splintered and was quickly mashed to bloody pulp beneath the onslaught. No! No! Shouted Odenwald, but he was too late. Grim shook the gore from his hands, turned and lumbered toward the staircase. Right now, he said, I want to walk. I've been trapped in a bed, trapped in that rotten meat prison, for far too long. Odenwald was morosely considering what remained of his client's original body when the alarm sounded. From above, He heard the scurrying of security agents, gunfire, shouting, and an ear-splitting, inhuman roar. Oh, mein Gott, Odinwald whispered. It's a bear. A second roar, louder than the first, tore through the massive house. (laughs) And he's not alone, Grim laughed, an eerie, soulless sound. Wonderful. He hefted his enormous new self eagerly up the stairs, the basement seeming to shake with each thunderous step. Stay here, doctor, he called back. This won't take long. Another roar sounded above, and Odinwald recalled the calm, predatory stare of the white bear back in his test lab, the way he'd licked his lips when he'd seen the doctor sweat. I'm going to enjoy killing you, old man. Odenwald inched into the corner of the basement, the one furthest from the stairs, and clamped his hands over his ears. as he moaned. By the time she was finally tossed naked and drenched equally with sweat and blood back into the large antique cage, the pain had stopped being revelatory. As overwhelming as it had been at first, Pixie was dazedly astonished to find that even this agony, in a comparatively short amount of time, had become a kind of new normal. So much so that her ravaged flesh simply going momentarily unmolested was ecstasy. Perhaps, she thought, perception can be permanently recalibrated by severe trauma. Maybe, for whatever time remained to her, the most joyful experience she could aspire to was neglect. Better that. Better anything at all. Than their attention. Lilith and Siren busied themselves putting away their toys and cleaning up the blood. They'd been playing doctor. And the sisters' identical PVC nurse outfit squeaked and shone brightly under the lamps. As they wiped her blood from their shiny metal tools of torture... Pixie closed her eyes, focused on breathing, glad she could not see the horror as the sisters had inflicted on her back. She forced herself to breathe slowly, resolved she would die before she cried. She'd been broken moments ago, she reluctantly admitted. She'd screamed and wailed as they ripped her wings off. Shamefully, she remembered how she'd begged. Now stripped of everything but this last vestige of control Pixie concentrated every bit of her remaining energy on simply not crying that was one thrill she'd die denying these sadists there were others in the room Pixie knew she'd heard the fairies crying between bouts of her own screaming as the sisters went to work on her She'd had glimpses of other large, ornate cages hung around the sparsely furnished chamber, what the sisters had called the playroom. She heard them now, tiny gasps here and there, quiet sobbing. Dimly, she recalled the missing person reports she'd collected, the stories of fairies suddenly vanished without a trace, and the dismissal her concerns had received from the feds. Mystery solved. Pixie thought Bravo detective Now what? From the doorway and in the corners of the room she felt the greedy eyes of several of the family's goblin guards sliding over her Whether her nakedness or bleeding excited them more was impossible to say It was a prejudice Pixie had long recognized in herself tolerant and progressive as she otherwise was There must be a good goblin out there But she'd never met one. Pixie recalled their scaly, grabby hands on her back in the alley, remembered their drooling, their lusty gazes. She knew that even if she did somehow escape the cage, even if she was in a condition to take out the sisters themselves, she was hopelessly outnumbered here. Anger, the tiniest spark of righteous hatred, flickered somewhere beneath the pain and exhaustion. Pixie took desperate solace in it. She wasn't dead yet, and she would not cry. Lilith approached and opened the cage door. Pixie fought not to flinch as the woman's hand neared and set down a small cup of water near her head. ''Drink this, fairy,'' Pixie forced open one eye, staring blearily at her captor. ''Drink it,'' Lilith said. Pixie didn't move. Lilith reached into the cage and poked Pixie hard in the side with one finger and Pixie realized her tormentor had taken off her gloves I said drink it Lilith whined don't be so boring the tiny anger spark flared into something hotter something larger Pixie reached out quickly the movement sending fresh waves of pain throughout her body grabbed Lilith's wrist "'and sunk her teeth into the fleshiest part of her hand. "'Lilith screamed. "'For a pampered creature, every wound is mortal. "'Even a small sampling of the pain she'd spent a lifetime "'gleefully administering to others "'was more than her senses could comprehend, "'and she wailed as if she'd been gutted. "'It bit me!' she shrieked. "'It bit me, siren!' Siren came quickly over from where she'd been pressing Pixie's wings, already the latest addition to their grisly collection, onto their large leather book and put a comforting arm around her sister. It's okay, she said. We'll take out its teeth tomorrow. Sobbing, clutching her wounded hand, Lilith collapsed dramatically into her sister's embrace. Mouth slicked with blood, now not only her own, Pixie began to laugh Is this amusing you fairy? Siren asked What is so funny? Pixie laid her head on the cool floor of the cage Closed her eyes She thought of all the victims she'd known The ones that moved on And the ones that could not Or would not She thought of the monsters she'd misted The atrocities she'd seen creatures inflict on one another She thought of all those condescending heads shaking disapprovingly at every single turn as she advanced through the ranks of all the threats, the jokes. She could not conceive, having survived all that, to have overcome so much and thrived despite it all. To then be mutilated and made to beg by these spoiled psychopathic brats. A familiar sensation welled up in her then. The fuck-it feeling as she always thought of it. She felt an exhilarating sense of detachment, a cavalier callousness. It fanned the budding anger flames in her heart to a full blaze, scorching her soul and cauterizing fear and pain and caution. She knew this feeling well. It was the one that put down all her best instincts like sickly old dogs. For better or worse... It had reared its head before every fight in which he'd been outsized and outgunned, before every sad, sweaty night in which he'd wasted genuine affection on some selfish lost boy. Time to push the chips forward again, pixie old gal, she thought. Step to the line, roll the dice and see what happens. You've been pushing your luck your whole damn life and haven't crapped out yet. Maybe it'll hold one more time. She laughed louder, feeling hysteria creeping in like the chill of evening. ''What is so funny?'' Siren demanded. Pixie said, ''I'm just thinking about what I'm going to do to you.'' A flicker of unease passed over Siren's delicate face. None of the other fairies had ever talked to her like this, and they'd all cried so easily. This one wasn't as much fun as the others. Well, not yet, anyway.'' There was always tomorrow, though. With father revived at last, she and Lilith had all the time in the world to play. Suddenly the alarm sounded. The goblins rushed from the room toward the noise coming from downstairs, gunshots and shouting. Then a terrible roar rattled the cages, and the sisters exchanged wide-eyed looks as Pixie burst into a fresh fit of laughter. "'My ride's here!' Pixie forced herself to stand, then let through the open cage door on legs she could not feel, reaching out with bloody hands, severed muscles on her back twitching and spasming impotently, reflexively trying to flex wings no longer there. Earthbound, she flung her tiny frame of wiry muscle and unthinking fury forward, ready to push her luck one more time. In the grand entryway, Grizz and Frost huddled close together behind an overturned table, a huge slab of ancient wood that was withstanding goblin-fired bullets better than it had Cyrus Grimm's chainsaws. Frost jerked a claw at the staircase to their right. Up there! That's where they'll have taken her! Shots struck the table, sending vibrations from their bodies and chunks of wood flying over their heads. Frost half rose, returned fire, and then ducked quickly as a new barrage of bullets assaulted their makeshift shelter. Getting in had been easier than he'd expected, mostly because nobody had been expecting them. Certainly, nobody had guessed a pair of frothing mad bears might rush the front door, taking out sentries left and right with bullets and claws alike as they came, not exactly bothering to knock. He tasted blood and grinned. Damn goblins! Grizz hissed, rising to return fire. The bag of guns lay open on the floor between them. His cough returned, accompanied by a new burning in his chest. They've got us pinned down good, (coughs) he managed. A strange noise reverberated through the house like somebody striking a god-sized drum. Then it came again. The gunfire ceased. The sound was echoing up from somewhere below them, Grizz realized. Eyeing the darkened stone staircase visible behind two large, pushed-aside bookcases on the far side of the room, it led downward to ominous blackness. Downward. Away from Pixie, he thought. Frost said, ''That'd be our host coming up from the lab!'' Grizz half rose again, thinking to make a run for the upward staircase in search of Pixie, but two well-placed bullets... "'Struck the table just to his left, as if in warning. "'Obviously he was meant to wait here to meet the infamous Cyrus Grimm in person. "'Or however much person of the old man remained. "'Frost scanned the room, eye barely peeking over the table's edge, "'noting carefully where the shots had been fired from. "'There were not so many goblins as he'd thought there would be. "'He smiled, taking in the scene. "'The damage was satisfying.' Bullet holes cratered the walls, furniture was knocked aside, and the bodies of slain goblin soldiers lay scattered about, leaking foul black blood under the formerly pristine carpet. Pity the housekeeper, Frost thought, pushing away the nagging pain that raced through his body like some demonic rat in a maze. The footsteps on the stairs continued, louder. "'I'm going now,' he said. "'It'll be easier on the stairs.' He's not used to his new body yet, of being so big. He'll topple, and they'll gun you down in three steps, Grizz growled. Then cover me, Frost said. Then, in the commotion, make a run upstairs. He began to rise. One paw pressed the blood-stained bandages over his side. Grizz grabbed his coat, pulled him back down. Frost, don't! You already know how that story ends! Frost reached for a second gun from the bag. You still don't get it, do you, Grizz? They all end that way eventually. The question is... whether it's a story worth reading. Say what you will about me. He rose again, scanned the room once more. But I've always endeavored to lead a life worth reading. Wait for backup, Grizz said. Please... The room shuddered as the approaching juggernaut reached the top of the stairs. Enormous figure filling the doorway between the bookcases. Go on, Grizz, Frost said. Go free the fairy. Save the day. Go be the hero one more time before they close your book for good and your cover starts gathering dust. Maybe I'll see you again. But I don't think so. Frost... "'Grizz whispered. "'I'm sorry.' "'Frost winked his good eye. "'I'm not.' "'The white bear vaulted the table, "'firing with both guns at the hiding goblins he'd marked. "'Screams and sprays of black blood erupted from their hiding places "'and a few stray shots that went laughably wide. "'Ah, Mr. Frost.' "'Cyrus Grimm spread his arms, as if to offer a hug.' So nice to see you again. Frost turned his weapons to the man-made monster and fired them empty as he charged, each round striking the immense target exactly as intended. The wounds and the pain had done nothing to dull his marksmanship, Frost was proud to see. had done nothing to slake his thirst for vengeance, or his love of violence either. The black hungry things inside him rose up in delight clamoring for more as the bullets tore into Grimm's leather skin, struck the metallic parts of his new body in tiny explosions of sparks. Come and get it, fellas, Frost thought. All you can eat, last call. Tossing the weapons aside at the last possible moment, Frost howled along with his demons, leading with his claws as he collided with the tottering giant. They fell together backward into the darkness... The sound of their plunge down the long stone staircase like a freight train rampaging off the tracks through a downtown city block. By then, Grizz was halfway upstairs. He ran, coughing up bile and blood, smack into several charging goblins coming to assist their brethren. Finding his shotgun empty, Grizz sat upon them like a true animal. His teeth and claws tore them apart. "'ripped the meat from their bones "'in a shower of inky blood and gurgled shrieks. "'One managed to squeeze off a shot, "'and the bullet tore a chunk from Grizz's shoulder as it passed, "'but he paid the wound no mind. "'He didn't even feel it "'as he tossed pieces of mangled goblin corpses "'over his shoulder one by one, "'continuing up the stairs, "'tan trench coat flapping behind him "'and dripping blood, "'red and black hues.' running together now, like he'd just come in from some hellish rainstorm. Save your friend, Papa, he thought. Do your goddamn job. Each step was a fresh victory. Grizz dashed across the landing and rounded a corner into the hallway. He'd lost the blue bag at some point during the charge and whatever few guns had perhaps remained in it. But he wasn't thinking about that as his eyes locked on the girl coming toward him. Lilith, or Siren, Riz never could tell them apart, was apparently running for her life. Her shiny white PVC costume was ravaged, torn, as if by many tiny claws or razor blades. The remains clung to her as she careened toward the stairs blindly. In one hand, she clutched a big leather-bound book. The other was outstretched, desperately groping. The bloody craters of her face's eyeless sockets swept blood. Grizz scooped up the flailing girl and growled into her ear, ordering her to be still. "'Where's the fairy?' Lilith, or siren he still couldn't tell, began to shake, babbling about the playroom and the fairies and her doctor toys. She began to scream for her daddy, hugging the book tightly, clearly edging into shock. Grizz hefted the flailing girl easily, carrying her over his shoulder as he stalked forward." "'ignoring her rambling, giddy stream of nonsense toward the commotion ahead. "'There was only one open door in the hallway, "'and the trail of bloody handprints along the wall "'clearly indicated it is the direction from which the babbling blind girl had come. "'Grizz entered, his cop's mind noting and cataloging the scene before him "'in a clinical, professional way by reflex. "'The playroom was large and empty, with tile floors with built-in drains.' "'and several sprinkler heads in the ceiling, "'between long rows of fluorescent tube lights. "'To wash the blood away,' Grizz thought. "'Cages, large and small, dangled on chains "'and were set about the room, "'which was otherwise devoid of furnishings, "'except for a large metal table in the center. "'Restraints dangled from the corners, "'thick leather cuffs attached to short lengths of metal cable. "'A set of steel cabinets sat against the far wall.' Open now and empty like the cages. On the floor near the table, Grizz saw the second sister, or what was left of her. She twitched, but he could not imagine she was still alive, not with all those sharp things stuck in her. The handles of medical instruments and blades of many different sizes jutted up from the mutilated carcass on the floor. It lay in a wide pool of blood. Surrounded by a horde of wingless fairies clad in fetish-style maid costumes, they all turned their wide, haunted eyes to Grizz at the same time. Shiny pools of trauma-stained greens, blues, and ambers. They did not blink. Windows looking in on empty rooms, Grizz thought. Nobody home. Some things you can't come back from. And those eyes are empty, and they don't realize I'm here to help. And maybe they wouldn't care if they did. More than anything, he watched the fairies begin to scream at the sight of him, pulling weapons from the corpse on the floor and moving to attack. Grizz thought, no Pixie. She's not here. The cages are all empty, and she's not here. Wait, Grizz said, tossing aside the struggling girl. She struck the wall behind him and collapsed onto the floor of the hallway, still hugging her book, trembling and babbling. Wait! I'm the police! he said. I'm here to get you out of here! I'm here to help! Their chorus of howls grew louder as they came closer, blood-stained weapons large in their tiny hands. Stop! a new voice came from the back of the room, near the cabinets. Grizz smiled. He knew it well. Pixie Emberlight walked stiffly forward. She had bandaged herself as best she could, Grizz saw, covering her body in wounds, many of which seeped blood through the white gauze strips in several alarmingly dark spots. Grizz could not see her back, but did see that her wings were gone, like the rest of them. Eyeing the frozen fairy sternly, Pixie said, ''He's with me. He's my friend.'' The word friend was like a spell, good and safe, decent, and shockingly out of place in such a nightmarish room. Upon hearing it, the fairies eyed each other and the body, the damage they'd done, and began to cry. Pixie looked her partner in the eye, and he saw she, at least, was still there inside. Don't ask me, Grace. Please, don't you ever... Ask me about it. Coughing, Grizz wiped his mouth with the back of his paw and nodded. You look like shit, Pixie smiled, tears brimming in her eyes. I'm too old for this, Grizz wheezed. Too old and too fat. Next time, I'll be the one who gets captured. Deal? Pixie's eyes narrowed. Voice went cold. Where's Frost? As if in response, the building rumbled. Time to go, Gris said. You ready? Pixie reached down to retrieve a large, gore-caked knife that had been thrown aside by one of the sobbing fairies. Been ready, big guy. This episode of Horror Hill is proudly brought to you by BetterHelp. The largest network of professional, licensed, and vetted counselors that you can trust. Have you ever felt like there was something interfering with your life and your happiness, or preventing you from achieving your goals, that you knew was there, and you knew you had to do something about it, but you really didn't know where to start, or who you had to talk to? I know I'm personally not alone in this, but I've struggled with feelings of depression and anxiety for most of my life. Periods that have gone on for months, even years sometimes. During these periods, I remember feeling particularly nervous about the prospect of talking to a professional or any kind of therapist to work out these issues I was having. And I will say truly that if there was a service like BetterHelp that was available for me during those periods, I would have been able to be much more proactive about my problems, instead of just stewing in silence and trying to hide them. BetterHelp would have quickly assessed my needs and matched me with my own licensed professional therapist, one I would be communicating with in just under 48 hours of reaching out. However, BetterHelp is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It is a professional counseling service done securely online with a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas. And BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. It's fast and convenient, and allows you to log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, who will in turn send timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again, which as far as I'm concerned is a huge plus. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com hill. That's better h-e-l-p and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And as a special offer for Horror Hill listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com hill. Remember, that's better, dot com slash hill. H-I-L-L. Thank you for your support of this program and of the sponsors that make it possible.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Frost raged. It was glorious. Kneeling on the chest of the fallen Cyrus Grimm, The giant bear, whose fur was now more red than white, grabbed hold of his would-be killer's head and twisted. The fall down the stairs had battered them both considerably, and every move reminded Frost of his surely broken bones, jagged pieces of himself that were even now being pushed, shoved, and twisted into his organs, stabbing him from the inside. The pain was terrible. Massive muscles in his arms bulged beneath his fur, straining against his flesh with the effort. But he at last felt the welds begin to give. Grim had fallen in such a way that one arm was pinned beneath himself, but the other was relentlessly battering Frost. One blow had nearly forced closed his good eye with pain and immediate swelling— another had torn his barely closed side wound open, spilling his guts and blood in a gruesome wave. Still, frost strained. Through his damaged voice transmitters, Grimm shouted, Doctor! Doctor! Where are you? Dr. Frank Odenwald cowered behind a large generator in the rear of the lab, hands still over his ears. The sound of the bear growling and frothing made him tremble. Frost had wisely, or perhaps it had been luck, severed many of the arteries which kept the revitalization serum circulating. It pulled below the struggling figure like blue alien blood. It was essential, especially in the early stages, as the doctor had told Grimm many times, to ensure the construct remained functional. Already, he could see the increased stiffness, the slowness, overcoming his creation. Oh, no, 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 no help, Frost grunted. Nobody's coming for you, old man. Nobody! He heaved. Grim's skull twisted slightly. There was a sharp cracking sound. I'll pay, Grim warbled sounding like a toy whose batteries were running low. I'll pay. Yes, Frost said. Yes, you will. We all will. He felt something in his back pop out of place, was blinded momentarily by the new surge of pain, but at last wrenched free the metallic skull of Cyrus Grimm. In a shower of sparks and blue ooze, he held it aloft and roared. In the far corner, the doctor screamed. Frost tossed aside the head. The visual sensors burnt out and dead at last and limped toward the sound. Even with his eye nearly swollen shut, he could see well enough to know cornered prey. He shuffled forward, smiling through the pain... Hello, doctor. Odinwald jumped to his feet and began frantically pressing buttons on the generator, twisting dials. Gauge needles leapt to the right, into the red, and a low hum filled the lab. Stay back, Frost. Stay back blows this place to hell. Do you hear me? Frost licked his lips. I told you I'd enjoy killing you. No. The old man shrieked, mashing down a large red override button. The hum became a whine. Frost was nearly on him, lurching, dragging one foot in a pile of his own guts behind him like Marley's chains, leaving a slick, bloody trail. You're not the last meal I'd have chosen, he said. But you'll do. Please, Odinwald said. I couldn't fix you. I can save your life. Frost shook his head, limping past the shaking generator. But who's going to save yours? No thanks, Doc. First, I taught Grimm. Now, I'll teach you. Eventually, everyone dies. There is no escape. No loophole. Sooner or later, we all have to fess up. Get ready to learn. Frost reared back to strike. Arcs of electricity surged around the generator. The whine was a shrill whistling now, underscored by a crackling like summer lightning. No! Odinwald screamed. Yes! The blackness and frost screamed louder. Please! The doctor begged. Please! The darkness insisted. The mad scientist leapt desperately away from the smoking machine and the bear. Frost, the worst good guy there ever was, lunged after him throwing himself finally into a blackness as dark as his own inner void, as the explosion rocked the lab, shook the mansion, and brought down large sections of ceiling, the floor of the entranceway above. Along with them came the bodies of the newly arrived backup, tumbling down from on high, like angels cut loose from heaven. Later, as responders scurried through the wreckage like greedy bugs over a corpse, in the nearly settled stillness, the crackle of the radio chatter and the clatter of occasional falling bits of debris was deafening. Officer Nick Jersey made his way carefully through what remained of the basement. Light poured down from the gaping holes in the ceiling, setting off large patches against the otherwise absolute darkness... He didn't need it, though. Jersey was no stranger to dark, unpleasant subterranean locales. It was like coming home. Handsome glamour in place, the undercover officer strolled casually over Cyrus Grimm's headless remains. Immortality, he thought. The ultimate pipe dream. The pursuit of eternity had proved the folly of fiends far worse than Grimm, he knew. Jersey smirked as he scrambled over crushed equipment and fallen chunks of stone nimbly, intent only on his prize. He'd arrived on the scene in time to see Grizz and Pixie board an ambulance, medics tending to the other fairies and wounded police as they too were loaded into waiting units. There was nothing for him to do, not up there. His calling was once more the dirty work, it seemed. Fine by him? The desperate wail of sirens filled the night above as he inched further from the half-collapsed stairs into what remained of the basement lab, the image of the devastated, wingless pixie in mind. Finally, in the dark far corner, Jersey found what he sought. At the sound of his nearing footsteps, the rats abandoned Dr. Frank Odenwald and fled back to their recently uncovered dens. The old man moaned weakly as Jersey leaned over him, studying the damage. Nearby, the charred and crushed body of Jackson Frost twitched as it was worried by tiny teeth. The bear was dead, it was obvious. But the doctor... The old man's foggy eye settled on Jersey, and from his mouth escaped a pathetic whine. Jersey winked switched the ever-present matchstick between his teeth to the other side of his mouth and held up a large, leather-bound book. I got this from a blind girl outside, just before they took her away. She did not want to give it up. But I think you'll find I can be very persuasive. He opened the book and held it close to the old man's face, displaying a pair of shiny pink wings mounted inside. They glittered in the gloom of the devastated lab, freshly bloodied stumps, barely congealed. Tell me, genius, can you fix this? The doctor blinked hard and eyed the book a moment before he managed a wincing nod. Don't lie, Jersey said. It's a sin... Believe me, I know. And it'll only be worse for you later if you do. Much worse. The old man croaked. Yes, I can. Jersey removed the book and held out an open hand. Shake on it. Grunting, the doctor forced his arm to raise and let his limp hand fall into the undercover officer's grip. I guess you know what kind of deal you just made, Jersey said, carelessly dropping the doctor's hand. He winked again, and the match between his teeth ignited. Speaking into his radio, Jersey said, Need a medical evac in the far west corner of the basement? A wisp of smoke rose slowly, curling around his gleaming, amber-colored eyes. The sharp points of his horns poked out slightly from his dark, oily hair looks like this one's going to live as the pain rushed in again and a fresh wave of darkness overtook him Odenwald looked up into the face of his rescuer and longed for the rats the weather was perfect in the day Jackson Frost was laid to rest but hardly anybody was in attendance at the brief unceremonious service to enjoy it in fact Only Grizz was there to watch as the box containing what remained of his former mentor was lowered into the ground. Outside the cemetery gates, he saw Pixie standing by her motorcycle. She had refused, understandably, to come inside, but seemed determined not to completely abandon him today. She watched from behind dark sunglasses, her black jacket loose around her slight, wingless frame... Grizz took a cigar from his coat pocket, nipped off the tip, and was turning to go, searching his pockets for a lighter when he caught a familiar scent. There, in the shade of a large tree on the slight rise of a nearby hill, he saw a woman clad in black. Misty Muffin wiped her eyes with a wad of tissues as he approached, unlit cigar still in his teeth, and smiled Hey Gris Still married? Still married? (laughs) Thanks for asking though They watched as the groundskeeper removed the hydraulic lift from the side of the gaping hole Frost was where he would always be now It was over I'm sorry Gris said thinking I seem to be saying that a lot these days If it matters I think he really loved you He considered lying telling Misty that Frost had actually sent so before he died maybe telling her that he'd even asked Grizz to pass on the message but he had done no such thing and a long minute later he was glad Misty patted his arm Frost never loved anyone as much as he hated himself that's okay though I loved him that's all that matters now Gris said he was complicated everybody's complicated Gris Frost was a fucking asshole Gris shrugged unable to disagree and lit up a slight breeze carried the smoke toward the gate and he decided to follow its example see you at work he lumbered away leaving the service's sole mourner to her thankless duty Outside, Pixie pointed at the cigar, shook her head. "'Kill it, big guy. Last one,' he said. "'Promise?' "'No. You've had plenty of last ones already, and you're going to that doctor's appointment next week if I have to shoot you and drag you in there dead.' Riz sighed, tossed the cigar. "'I'll keep that appointment when you keep yours with the department shrink.' Pixie did not flinch. Her refusal to sit down with a trauma specialist or even speak of the events at grim Manor outside of her official bare-bones report was the sole reason for her indefinite administrative suspension. Physically, she'd been cleared for duty weeks ago. Wings are not required for police work, even for fairies. Walk a flight of stairs without coughing and you'll see the shrink. Be the bigger man, Pixie. We can't both be stubborn, and I've got seniority, she said. We need to talk. Not now, Grizz said, moving toward his car. You coming for dinner tomorrow? It's Goldie. Her words stopped him mid-step. Grizz almost didn't hear him so fast. She escaped. In his gut, he knew the answer was certain he already knew and in his mind he was already halfway home already taking steps and preparing for the war that was surely to come no Pixie's voice was tired like it had been when he'd found her in the grim house and she'd said please don't you ever ask me about it I heard it from a friend in correction." so I'm sure it's true. What's true? Grizz. Goldie's pregnant. I'm still not convinced this is a good idea, Dr. Matt Hatter said, walking briskly down the long, sterile hall with Grizz at his heels. Can you promise me you won't upset her? No. Can you promise to try to not upset her? No. Adder turned quickly and Grizz had to stop short so as to not crush the short, thin man who glared up from beneath his shaggy brown hair, stroking his Van Dyke beard furiously. Do you understand the potential complications inherent here? he asked. Do you even care? No, Grizz growled. We are talking about a potential werewolf, detective. Do you understand that? Grizz said. "'There are no werewolves.' "'Not yet,' the doctor turned, continuing on. "'That is the point, you see. "'This is unprecedented. "'It is... well... "'It's incredibly exciting. "'Scientifically speaking, that is.' "'They passed identical heavy steel doors "'set deeply into the stone walls "'on either side of the narrow hallway. "'From behind some came moans, "'and from others' giggles.' From inside Goldie's room, there was singing, soft and low. It was a lullaby. Grizz placed a heavy paw on the doctor's shoulder. How's about finding out how she managed to get out of her room, doctor? How about finding how she got into the wolf's room, let alone how she raped him? Is that exciting? Scientifically speaking. The doctor shrugged out of the bear's reach and began fumbling with his keys. Yes, of course. We are cooperating fully with the authorities in that investigation. But my primary concern is the safety and health of my patient. Grizz snatched the keys away and pushed the doctor roughly against the wall. It was you, wasn't it? You twitchy little geek. I can smell it on you. Why? What you got on you? Or is it just to appease your pervy little mind? You want to see what happens. Is that it? The doctor stammered. I, I... I... I don't know what you're talking about. I'm gonna prove it, Gris said, shoving the key into Goldie's door. Mark my words. I'm gonna get you. They let the thick door shut loudly behind him and stared, disbelievingly, at Gloria Locks. She sat on the padded floor of her small room. In the corner running her fingers gently over her small but unmissable round belly. Her iconic hair had begun to grow in again, framing her pale, angelic face. She glanced sleepily at Grizz and smiled. Hello, Papa Bear. How did you do it? Well, when a mommy and daddy love each other very, very much. Shut up! Why the wolf, Goldie? What's your game? Her eyes slid closed and Goldie continued, gently tracing her fingertips over her belly. We're kindred spirits, she said. We both know the world is not fair. We were both born wrong. And we both failed in our attempts at improvement. I love him, Papa Bear. And I feel sorry for him, too. You would. No, Not because he's here, or because of what he did, Goldie said. I feel bad for him because he still has hope. He's still tortured that way. Not me, Papa Bear. Not anymore. I was born soft, pretty girl flesh in a groping, gnashing, stabbing world of sharp edges and hungry mouths. Once I thought I could make myself strong enough to stand it. I thought if I became the biggest, scariest thing I could think of, I would be okay. You're breaking my heart, Riz said. I've been in this room for nearly half my life. Goldie's immense green eyes roamed the cramped Spartan cell. I might die here, I could pound my fists until my little bones cracked. I could scream until my vocal cords tore apart. But I'd never break free. Maybe they are just walls. But we are all trapped. In our lives. In our skins. Our stories are written before we're even born. It's already too late. Her unblinking eyes returned to Grizz. But someday... The flesh of my flesh... Will devour the world. I'll have it taken away from you, Goldie. I'll see to it that kid never even knows your name. She slowly stood and leaned against the wall. Her hands resting below her belly. Fingers laced. Tell me a story, Papa Bear... You know, the one I like. Grizz tightly balled his paws, claws piercing his skin, drawing blood. He saw her smell it, saw her eyes flicker, and dutifully recited. And then Baby Bear said, Someone's been sleeping in my bed too. Goldie smiled. And she's still here. How's it end, Papa Bear? Is it a happy one? I'm not sure yet, Goldie. But I'm afraid not. Goldie turned away to face the corner. We'll see, she cooed, as if talking to a baby. Won't we? Yes, we will. A happy ending is just a matter of perspective. Isn't it precious? Goldie was singing again when Grizz left, the door slamming shut behind him, and the scowling doctor snatching back his keys. She was singing in his head as he walked alone back down the hall to the stairs. He heard Pixie say, "Please, don't you ever ask me about it?" Goldie was singing in his hand as he walked into the fresh air and sunshine outside Clover Patch. He heard Frost say. They all end that way, eventually. Goldie was singing in his head as he drove home. He heard her say, It's already too late. In the garage, for the second time in his life, Grizz marked a day, still months away yet, on the wall calendar with a capital letter B. He dumped his fishing lures into the trash, wiped the dust from his weights, ...and began to lift. It's already too late. No, Gris thought. Not yet. Still time. There's time to get ready for what's to come. Soon, sweat matted his fur, stung his eyes. His ragged breath cut his lungs and throat like knife blades... Each cough bringing up blood, making him angrier every time. Not yet, he thought. Grizz lifted, telling himself again and again. Not yet. Fate can fuck itself, and endings are overrated. Not quite yet. The end. You've been listening to Storybook Gothic Three Fiend's Folly, Part Two by Luciano Murano. And they lived happily ever after. <laughs> I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumbed from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Fiend's Folly Part 2 was written by and presented courtesy of Luciano Morano. Luciano was a journalist, photographer, and author. His award-winning reporting both written and photographic has appeared in numerous regional and national publications he made his debut as a fiction writer in the extreme horror anthology doa3 bloodbound books may 2017 alongside such genre icons as jack ketchum edward lee and bentley little among others he's also a u.s navy veteran when he's not writing or working He likes jogging and drinking craft beer, though not at the same time. His favorite movie is Point Break. His favorite book is Something Wicked This Way Comes. And he would choose Wolverine-style healing abilities if he could have any superpower. Or maybe just the ability to grow Wolverine-style sideburns. He lives near Seattle. Get to know him better at www.luciano-morano.com or check out citymyway101.wordpress.com where he blogs albeit sporadically again that's www.luciano-marano.com and be sure to tell him how much you enjoyed tonight's story because I think we all need a little more storybook gothic in our lives I know I do If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscary.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube... You can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness, I bid you good night. sleep tight, Listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may offend you, but it's up to you to let it in. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, Luke Hodgkinson, and Jesse Cornett. Final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshak. The program's artwork by yours truly, Jason Hill. Logo by Craig Groshak. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing, and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you.